We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I am Carson Cunningham, joined by Kyle Porter. Fresh off the weekend, Kyle, how you doing? I'm good. A uh, little Ricky Fowler action, a little uh, Justice Hill action. We got we got a lot to talk about. It's kind of it's kind of we a do. weird it's kind of a weird time because usually or normally we'd be talking about Oklahoma State basketball, but we're talking about almost everything but Oklahoma State basketball. So where do you want to start? I also feel like we'd normally be talking about spring football already, too, <laughs> with how the basketball program's been the last 10 years. True. Uh, let's start with Ricky. Uh, you obviously covered it for CBS. I was locked in. Uh, he made a, an amazing run there at the end on the vaunted bear trap, which if you took a drink every time they said the words bear trap, you would have been intoxicated. But he buried three of his <laughs> final four holes. He might be dead. Uh, right, or dead. Uh, to, he grabbed a share of the lead, but um, he was he was nipped by uh, Keith Mitchell. Yeah. Someone named Keith Mitchell beat him K- at nine under. Uh, so it was it was a great run by Ricky. It just it felt to me, Kyle, that it was a little too much, or a little too little, too late because he just he didn't play well. I thought I thought the tournament was right there for the taking. He needed the leaders to come back. They did. In the, after the third round, he said he wanted the wind to blow. That would give him an advantage. The wind howled. And he just he didn't hit the ball great. He he made some long putts to give him a chance, but he just he didn't hit the ball good enough to win, and, and that's ultimately why he didn't uh, win the tournament. Well, and, and there's a lot of people that are like, oh, see, you know, see Ricky can close, like he's the ma-. and it's like, well, he was 65th on Sunday in proximity to the hole, like he hit it, he hit it kind of terribly. And there was a there was a I mentioned this on my on my golf podcast. Uh, the first cut podcast, which you can listen to, but um, he like laid up on a par three on accident. It was, what was that? I was watching that live. It was, it was a par three. It wasn't good. It was two thirty was 230 to the hole. And he grabbed like a six iron, which I, at the time I was like, Oh, that's six. iron. I don't know if he can get that there, but I, I expected him to at least hit the green. He was literally like 40 to 50 yards short of the green in the rough. He barely, he barely cleared this water that was kind of just there. This little creek. Yeah, it was it was not ideal. And, what was and, that? Did he ever talk about that after his round? No, he just mishit it, man. It was just it, oh, it wasn't a shank, but it was like between a shank and a it was it was all it was an almost shank. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it's hard for it's hard for me to criticize somebody who shot a sixty seven down the stretch and almost got into a playoff with Keith Mitchell and and uh, Brooks Kepka. But he, I just I I thought he hit it terribly, and he got say he got. He, he he you know how many how many rounds are you going to hit a 45 footer a 22 footer a 16 foot he hit three putts of over three birdie putts over 15 feet on the back nine which is it's obviously good and I'm not being critical of that but it it my point is you're going to have a hard time winning hitting it like he did on Sunday and, and so I thought that part of it I'm with you I I thought it was there for the taking and I thought the way he hit it was pretty disappointing I do have an alternate way to look at it too i do think it was there for the taking but i also view it kind of as a positive kyle that he didn't have his a game and he was tied for the lead at going into the clubhouse he kind of fought and scratched and clawed his way yeah to the top of the leaderboard when he wasn't playing that well to me that bodes really well come major time because if he does hit it well that the way he puts he'll have a real chance to win his first major and i think he's going to win multiple tournaments this year for sure and and think about this kyle that was his 14th runner-up finish 
on the PGA Tour. Is yeah, that correct? I think lot. that's the, that's correct. And so there's an alternate reality here. He has five PGA wins. There's an alternate reality here where he has ten instead of fourteen runner-ups. So I thought that was in an alternate reality. Keith Mitchell misses that putt and he goes to a playoff like he did at the Players, and he, he ultimately might have might have beat Brooks Kepka and him. So and, and, it was another close call. And in a different alternate reality, he loses the Players playoff to Kevin Kisner and has four PGA Tour wins. I mean, I, I see what you're saying. I, I just, I mean, when's the last time he played well on a he hit it well on a Sunday? I mean, we we keep and and I th- I think your point is valid. Like, it like the way he puts keeps him in it a lot of times. But just one time, put like play lights out on a Sunday. Well, he did at the he did at Augusta last year. Yeah, but he was like seven back. Yeah, well, that's true. I, I but he did he did shoot what sixty seven. Back to back sixty sevens this weekend, sixty nine, sixty seven? Sixty six, sixty seven. Yeah, he I mean sixty six, sixty seven. That's the lowest round of the weekend. No. Those two rounds, other than other than the Palmer guy. Yeah, Ryan Palmer shot sixty three. Who didn't have to play in the the win. Fake news. <laughs> uh I just I don't know. Like his fourth round his fourth round performances in terms of hitting the ball have, have just have been disappointing. We can talk about something else. Let's talk about his drop. Uh, Ricky was penalized. He gets. Uh, I'm. I was just appalled. It's appalling. Was, it's not appalling. And, and can you tell Bam Barger, your your Lord and Savior, the golf writer that's supposedly the goat, to chill out? Like, okay, for a little background here, Ricky was penalized a stroke for not dropping the ball at knee height. That's a new rule. We're supposed to drop the ball at knee height. So he has to take a drop this weekend at the Honda. And he kind of like for like a half second, like squats and pretends like he's gonna drop it from behind him to where it looks like he's taking a dump on the <laughs> middle of the fairway. It was literally like I saw the freeze frame photo of it first, and it looked like he actually dropped it like that. To me, that would have been a huge story. But I saw the video, and he he like half does it for like a half second, jokingly to Billy Horschel, and then dropped the right way. Like it was not to me. It was a non-story. It was more of a funny picture than anything else. Well, the thing the thing that I told uh, Chip, my other podcast co-host is uh why is it so hard to drop from your from like bend over and drop from your knee like is it i i know but like these guys can't do it like uh bryson dechambeau in in hawaii looked like he was like gonna have a stroke like a conniption trying to drop it from his knee i I don't understand why it's so hard he he was he was judging air density when he was dropping so he had (laughs) he had more on his mind than ricky i i just I don't know. I, I thought it was. Uh, uh, we don't need to go down this USGA, you know, players' road. Yeah, but you get enough of that on the first cut. Well, it's just yeah, the whole thing. I, I just I didn't think it was a great look. I, I thought it could have been handled better. It was funny though. Were you not impressed though that Ricky was right there on Sunday? Oh burning yeah, three of the, three burning three of the last four holes on that course is is pretty special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I thought I thought. Um, I thought him staying in it because it felt like he was out of it like five different times and he just kept making a birdie, making a birdie, staying in it. The 45 footer on 17 was unbelievable. And then you have to birdie 18 and he did it to get up and down from where he did. That was impressive, you know? And, and I think that there's a, he, he's so hard to kind of dissect and break down because there's such polarizing opinions on him. But I, I, I thought what he did on 17 and 18 was incredibly impressive 
I just think that it's really hard to win when you're relying on your putter. And we saw this at the Phoenix Open, right, when he had that four-stroke lead going into the final round, and he makes the triple. Should have been a quad. He makes like a 20-footer uh, <laughs> to save his triple. And it's like it's just not a um, – it's just a, not a not a sustainable way to to win golf tournaments to make really long putts uh, down the stretch of of events. Yeah, and I thought eighteen summed it up well. He misses the fairway, hits a bunker, gets up and down for birdie that he had to have. He didn't, so that that's the road less traveled by, and it seemed like he was taking the road less traveled by all day. But, yeah, uh, that's enough golf for now. Um, Casey Dunn named associate head coach. I think we talked about this whenever we were discussing who the new offensive coordinator was going to be. I kind of predicted that Henson would get it and they would give Casey this title. He uh, Obviously, Henson's gone to A&M, so I didn't get that right, but I did get this right, that he got the the title that he, I think, richly deserves. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I'm curious. Uh, there was something that, that Mike Gundy said in the press release where he was talking about, you know, I think Casey Dunn's ready to be a head coach sooner rather than later, so something along those lines. Did that part of it surprise you? Because it it was almost the verbiage that he's used for for Mike Yersich over the years, where he's like, "Oh, this guy, you know, this guy's a head coach. He's head coaching material." And and if I, I I don't know, I don't like. It didn't feel like there was a need to say that. And I'm curious about like what like what exactly is an associate head coach? It's not it's not a head coach in waiting like we've seen with like Sean Sutton or Pat Knight, you know, in basketball. It, it what what is it like it's it's like second in command kind of but you've got the coordinators I, I guess I don't totally understand it oh to me it's just something you write down a resume that looks impressive and gives <laughs> and gets you a raise I don't think it's I don't think his role will change at all not one iota I just think it's more of a title thing and yeah to me it's it's kind of smoothing over the fact he didn't get the offensive coordinator job yeah to me that's what that it's kind of like a one giant pat on the back is kind of what it seems like to me and of course a raise that doesn't hurt which is which is the right thing I think I mean I, he's proven himself I went back he I mean of the of the top recruits that OSU's brought in over the last three or four years he's got like all of them I mean he's he's brought in like four uh four star guys in the last three years i think which is pretty crazy including tylen wallace obviously got james washington i mean he he's had he's had an incredible run and in whatever title you want to give him whatever raise you want to give him i'm i'm for i think he deserves it because he's been awesome yeah and he's the longest tenured assistant too so with Guys like Henson moving on, the turnover they've had at offensive and defensive coordinator. I mean, Casey Dunn's looking around saying, I'm I'm one of the longest – I am the longest tenured assistant uh, under Mike Gundy. So I think it's well-deserved as well, just the results he's gotten. It is interesting. I, I'm curious about what that room is like with, with Sean Gleason with, and, and Casey Dunn and everybody else that's involved because you've got – I mean, Gleason's so new and so young and Dunn is so – he's not old, but he's relatively old and he's so experienced, especially at Oklahoma state. I, I, I would be fascinated by kind of the dynamics of the, of the offensive coaches room, you know, to see what it looks like, to see what game planning looks like, to see what ga- uh, play calling looks like. I, I think that part of it, I think that part of it's pretty intriguing. And I think, I think people in the national media get this wrong all the time. They, they still look at Gundy as like this, offensive architect and and while i think he does contribute i think it's mostly guys like dunn and 
you know, previously Henson that were sort of uh, collaborating with the offensive coordinator, previously Mike Yurcich, now Sean Gleason, to come up with a to come up with a plan and a uh, and a contingency plan for when things go badly. So I, that part of it uh, is really, <clears throat> excuse me, is really curious and, and interesting to me. I would agree, and I, I thought you wrote something that I've always kind of thought too when you were discussing who they were going to hire an offensive coordinator, that Mike Gundy really has been at the forefront of offensive football in college as yeah. far as being ahead of the trends. Mm-hmm. People don't remember this when they talk about the no-huddle offense, but I feel like OSU was the first team to run it as to, to the current deal where there's no huddle at all. Remember when Larry Fedora came? They were kind of the pioneers of the look over to the sideline yeah. and get the play call. Then Oklahoma did it with Sam Bradford, and it just it's taken over football since. He was with that. He was with the kind of the Dana Holgerson air raid spread shotgun offense. He he adapted to Brandon Whedon with that. So it, to me, it seems like he's been ahead of the trends on mo- he, the diamond formation with Dana. And of course, that goes back to what you were saying that the coordinators have helped Mike Gundy's innovation as well. But I'm interested to see, and you wrote about this, just where it goes from here with Sean Gleason, just him being really a couple steps ahead of the curve. Yeah, 100%. Uh, you want to talk about Justice Hill and, and Jordan Brailford? Yeah, man. Let's do it. Justice. Wow. You know, to me, it was like the opposite of Kyler Murray's combine. You know, Kyler Murray made all of his money by weighing in and measuring and not doing any of the drills, whereas Justice, it was the opposite. He he weighed in pretty slight. He was not as tall or as big as... I think he was the smallest running back at the Combine. And so that kind of hurt him at first. But, man, to run the fastest 40, to have the number one broad jump, the number one vertical, the number one bench press, he made himself a ton of money. And I think it's really important. Like we, The Combine to me is, is what it is. To me, it's not as big a deal as people make it out to be. But it is a big deal to those scouts. Mm-hmm. And I think he was behind guys like David Montgomery from Iowa State on nearly everyone's draft board. But doing what he did at the Combine, to me, I think he's leapfrogged David Montgomery and maybe a couple more running backs on the the hierarchy list based on his measurables. Because when you test like he did, it's going to improve your draft stock. There's just no question about it. Yeah, and, and I, I've got um, <clears throat> one of the things that I think Kyle Cox is going to write about this week is how much money did Justice Hill make in Indianapolis? I mean, you could argue it's uh, – I'm curious to see like what the number he comes up with is because he essentially has – I think, I mean, from what I've read and, and seen, like played himself from what a, I don't know, fifth, sixth round pick up to like, he probably doesn't get out of the, the second round. I don't know, maybe third, something like that. I would say third. Okay. Third, uh, which, which, you know, it's not like an exorbitant amount of money because you're not, it's not like you're playing your, your, your way into the first round, but it's still significant. And I just, I don't know. I was I thought he would be good. He was uh, even better than I than I imagined. And, and f- I, there was a stat. NFL Network had this. Seth Duckworth put it in our in our Slack, talking about how him and Saquon are the only two running backs of the last however many years to to go four four and then uh, o- at least forty inches on their vertical. That's crazy. <laughs> I mean, that's that's ludicrous. And. Uh, yeah, it was, it was impressive. It was, it was, and it was cool. It was good for him. I mean, that's, that's awesome. And, uh, you know, again, we talk about this all the time. It's all about situation. It's all about fit. It's all about, are you in the right spot at the right time with the right team? Uh, 
And so it's going to come down to that in terms of his, I think it's going to come down to that in terms of his NFL success. But, you know, maybe now you have the right teams looking at you after that performance. Yeah, a couple teams that I've seen linked with, Kyle, you might like both of these. First, the Houston Texans, mm. Deshaun Watson, mm. uh, DeAndre Hopkins. That'd be a fun offense to be in. There's a glaring hole running back for them. I think Lamar Miller's kind of on the back end of his his career. That'd be a really good spot for him playing time-wise. And the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm. Would that interest you at all? With Mason Rudolph and James Washington already on the roster. That would they be... Both, they, they both met with him this weekend, supposedly. That would be pretty cool. That that's that can't happen, can it? That's too, that's almost like too good. It's like too perfect. Just OSU East. I mean, <laughs> start printing the T-shirts like steel steel water. I like the that steel the steel water T-shirts. Has it, has I didn't come up with that. You did not come up with that. No, back when they drafted Rudolph and Washington, that was making the rounds. I can't take credit for being that creative. Only two running backs have recorded a four forty or faster in a 40-plus inch vertical at the Combine since 2003, so since I was a senior in high school. Justice Hill, Saquon Barkley. They right. Both, that, that's insane. That's they, the athletic profile he's now with. They both ran uh, 4-4, and Saquon was 41-inch vertical. Justice was 40-inch vertical. The difference is Saquon's 233 pounds, and Justice is 198. That's crazy. It's crazy that he's 233 <laughs> pounds. Can you fathom that? That's insane. No. Did you? By the way, did you see the the, the wide receiver from Old Miss? Mm-hmm. What? What is he a human? No, he's the Incredible Hulk with a four three forty. That is, is that is insane. But did you see he had like a like Tom Brady had a better cone drill than him though at the same time? <laughs> like appar- apparently he can't move side to side. So to me, this guy's got the the combine warrior uh, can't play football motif. I mean, he didn't really light it up at Ole Miss. To me, he's all measurable. He has like one percent body fat, Kyle. How do you how do you live on that? Well, that's why he can't move side to side. He probably can't even like he probably can't even like twist his upper body. I know his torso. Crazy. But I while we're talking about justice, you got to give it up to Rob Glass. I know, I know Mike Gundy gives him credit at every turn. They got the body by glass hashtag. And, and Justice came to OSU a freak athlete. He had a really, I think he didn't he tie uh, Barry Sanders' vertical when he got there. So he, yeah. he always he always had a crazy vertical leap. But do you remember those pictures of him that his first off season yeah. versus his freshman year? Yeah. One off season under Rob Glass, he looked like an NFL running back. Yeah. And I think I don't like to give too much credit to strength coaches. I mean, they're they're telling them to lift weights and run. I mean, it is what it is. But I do think that Rob Glass has been integral to Mike Gundy's success. He's been there as he's been there 14 years, as long as Gundy has. He came from the University of Florida after being at OSU prior to that. He was at Florida, Kyle, in the mid-90s, back when they were, you know, Danny Werfel and the guys were winning national championships. So he's kind of behind the scenes. But I think you see in a guy like Justice Hill the difference that Rob Glass can make. Who was the receivers that they had? Ike Hilliard, was he one of them? Ike Hilliard... Oh, uh, Jaquez Green. Mm, I used to play with him on uh, NCAA like 97 or 98. Yeah. They were sick. They oh, were un- gosh. They were unbelievable. I'm a, I'm a Florida State fan. That, that game still haunts me. They, they, <laughs> they played in the regular season and Florida State won, and then they got blown out in the national title game. Uh, no, too, it's too soon. It's a good point about Rob Glass. Uh, let's see what else do we have here. Oh, 
big recruiting weekend for Oklahoma State football and basketball. I'd like to focus on basketball. Uh, Mike Boynton brought in some some fish, some some monsters for the weekend. Isaiah Todd was there. Uh, Christian Brown was there. Isaiah Todd's a kid who uh, is supposedly thinking about reclassifying to 2019. Christian Brown's an Oak Hill kid. He's like a top 60 guy. And, you know, I think that, uh, Todd's a little bit of a long shot, but I think Brown is somebody that, um, you know, that Oklahoma State thinks it can get, that Boynton thinks they can land for 2019. He's one of the, I don't know, five or six top 60 guys that haven't committed anywhere or signed anywhere yet. So it's going to be pretty interesting to see what uh, what comes of that over the next few weeks. Well, it's a testament to Mike Gundy's recruiting prowess that a 10-win team is bringing in the same amount of four stars, you know, two five stars or whatever they're ranked. That, to me, is pretty impressive. So that that leads you to to wonder what kind of recruiting can he get done when they're actually winning and have a full building. So, uh, uh, You mean Mike Boynton? What did I say? Mike Gundy. <laughs> Oh, I did. Yeah, I meant I meant Mike Boyden. I didn't know where you were going with that. I was like, wait, it's a testament to who, to who's recruiting. <laughs> There's too many mics on campus. Okay, we got Holder, we got Gundy, we got Boynton. Yursich is gone though. We don't have to worry about him anymore. That's good. One less one less <laughs> mic. No, you're. Yeah, I, I I agree with you as long as we're talking about Boynton. Um, Do they have any shot at Todd? Uh, I don't think so. Well, I, why was he here? I mean, I think they have a shot if he was took the time to come to Stillwater. I think it's his second trip, too. Really? Yeah. Did he go to Kentucky before that? Or Kentucky just offered? Kentucky, just, yeah, Kentucky just offered him. It, it, the whole thing's a, kind of messy because he, he's a 2020 guy right now, but apparently you can I, – I don't know, like, what the rules are around reclassification. Like, do you have to say, oh, I'm – like, do you have to like tweet out I'm 2019 now, or I I I, I don't know I don't know how that works, uh, but I I certainly think they have a much better shot at Brown than they do um, than they do Todd. Did you see Brown's uh, mom dressing up in the uniform? <laughs> that new that new fad continues. I noticed she went with the turquoise uh, uniform as well. Yeah. But recruits love those things. It's yeah. like the number one recruiting tool Mike Boynton has. Their 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 families love them too. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna I want to see what what it takes OSU's class to if they get uh, if they get Brown because they've got as of right now Oklahoma State has the uh, like 21st. Okay, so this this is great radio. Uh, they would be if they get if they get Christian Brown, they would move up to the twelfth best class in the country, behind Kentucky. Kentucky's nine, Ohio State ten, Texas eleven. Right now, they're twenty first in the in the basketball recruiting rankings. And they couldn't be having a worse season. OU is fifteenth, uh, by the way. Yeah, Long Kruger getting it done. Yeah, that's. That's pretty no, crazy. I mean, and it, so if, if Mike Boynton keeps getting top 50 guys on campus and lands a, f- a few of them, if he still gets, if he's getting top 15 to top 20 classes consistently, I think, I think the rest will be taken care of. I think he's a good enough coach. I think it's a good enough program to where you, you keep landing top talent like that. And, and granted they stay on the team. 
I, I think Mike Boynton will ultimately be a success as long as he keeps recruiting like he is. Yeah, and people always say, oh, Travis Ford could recruit. And it's like, well, there was zero evidence that Travis Ford could coach or construct a roster that wasn't, you know, 11 of the same, pro- like, body type or, or, or position type, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that, that Boynton's proven, it, at the very least, that he can coach. I mean, certainly – nearly taking his third win off of Kansas in two years on Saturday in Gallagher-Iba. But then, you know, I think he also, like, fundamentally understands, like, putting together a, a roster and a team and what that looks like. He hasn't been able to do it so far, so so maybe maybe that's in question. But, yeah, I, I, would, I would tend to agree with you in that. What did you think of that game, Kansas-Oklahoma State? I don't know how much you got to watch of it. I watched most of it. Um just once again, you hate to you hate to play the the moral victory card. It's just it's not what anybody wants to hear. Yeah. But I just it's it's pretty impressive that back to back games. You know they took Texas Tech to overtime. Uh, Lindy. Lindy Waters Lindy Waters went full Reggie Miller at Madison Square sick. Garden. It was sick. But man, he's wide open to tie the game and couldn't get yeah. it to drop. But um, I thought it was a, an impressive performance considering what they're down to. And one more thing, can we get the names on the jerseys for the walk-ons? <laughs> like, you gave them a jersey. Can we not put the name on? Is, is the budget that tight on the, at the basketball offices? They're just saving them for all the four stars coming in. That that just looks bad, doesn't it? <laughs> just put the, put the names on. I love that they have a walk-on who's, like, legit rotation guy right now. Yeah, like, like he's he's like I think he played. I think uh, Marshall Scott said he played all of. I didn't watch the Tech game, but he played all of the overtime in the Tech game. <laughs> like he's like Mitchell. Is that his name? Yeah. Uh, he's like in the rotation. It's crazy. Well, how about the Simpson kid? He played in the 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 game, or he he traveled back with the basketball team from Texas Tech. They land at like five in the morning, or they landed at like two or three in the morning, and he had to be at football workouts at six a.m. because he's a walk-on on the football team. Yeah, and that's pretty Gund- impressive. Gundy's tweeting about him and cowboy culture, baby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, let's get to this week's OSU schedule. Brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner. And be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Pretty full week, Carson. Maybe the fullest week we've had of 2019. We got women's basketball against Kansas State on Monday. That's at Gallagher-Iba. Uh, golf is in Cabo through Tuesday. I'm about to give you an update there. Uh, men's basketball at Baylor on Wednesday, last road game of the year. Baseball against Wichita State in Stillwater on Wednesday. Uh, then we got the women's Big 12 tournament starting on Friday. Baseball at USC on Friday. Wrestling Big 12 tournament starts on Saturday. Baseball at UCLA on Saturday. Men's basketball uh, has West Virginia at home on Saturday, and then finally baseball gets Michigan uh, at Dodger Stadium, which is kind of fun, on Sunday. So uh, pretty uh, loaded up week. We've got I've got a uh, up-to-the-minute update for you from, from Cabo on this uh, OSU golf tournament, by the way. Do you need a drink of water after running through that schedule? <laughs> Maybe. Can you guess who is leading uh, the individual side of the – uh, Quarencia Cabo Collegiate right now. Well, I already had golf stat pulled up on my computer, so I know exactly who it is. Mm. But you can you can tell the, the listener if you'd like. Austin Eckrode is nine under. He's three clear of everybody. He's seven under on the day. My gosh. <laughs> uh, and Hayden Wood is four back, and Matthew Wolf is six back. 
and Zach Boshu is seven back. So they've got four guys in the top, what is that, 16? Yeah, they just took the lead. Yeah, so they're yeah. up on Baylor and Arizona State and Arizona. Those are the only four teams under par. So that, that'll and, be... And uh, good for Hayden Wood, man. Yeah. I, I, uh, I questioned his spot on the roster, and he's clearly a listener of the podcast. <laughs> he's saying, shove it, Carson. He's uh, five under on the tournament. He's tied for third amongst the individuals. So yeah. he's doing really well. He's second on the team behind... Uh, Austin Eckrode ahead of Matt Wolf, so that's an impressive performance by him. And Victor Hovland is not is actually not playing in this tournament. Can you guess why he's not playing? Because he's playing at on the PGA Tour level. Yes, he's playing in the Arnold Palmer Invitational this weekend, which is awesome. He's he's uh, he's taking Tiger's spot actually. Yeah, Tiger's out. Hovland's in. Uh, how did he do in his PGA his lone PGA uh, appearance this year? Uh, what did he, did he play Tory? I think he played Tory. I think so. Can't uh, I think he missed the cut. I don't, I don't, I don't remember. That's okay. Uh, but to know, I mean, the Oshie golf team keeps rolling and we'll see if Ekro can be their third winner this season. That be, would be very impressive. That'd be crazy. Fun week for, for the baseball team though, getting to go to LA and play UCLA, USC and Michigan. We're going to have people at the, at the wrestling big 12 tournament or at the big 12 wrestling tournament. Don't want to get that wrong. Uh, on Saturday and Sunday and then basketball. Uh, I've got, um, actually w- I'll save this for one interesting thing. Let's hear one more time from our sponsor, Chris's university spirit. And then we'll come back with, with one interesting thing. Chris's university spirit on campus corner in Stillwater, Oklahoma is proud to be your one-stop cowboy shop since 1986 and proud sponsor of this podcast. Pistols firing. They specialize in custom-printed Oklahoma State apparel and merchandise and pride themselves on their excellent customer service. They also offer a full line of custom Greek apparel and can even outfit your Little League team head-to-toe. They're located at the corner of 3rd and Knobloch on Historic Campus Corner. You can follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Shop Stilly, shop Chris's University Spirit. Okay, Carson, you want to go first on one interesting thing, or do you want me to go? You can go ahead. Okay. This was my one interesting thing talking about talking about the basketball team playing West Virginia this weekend. Oklahoma State has never finished last in Big Twelve basketball. Does that surprise you? Does that surprise you or are you do you are you not surprised by that? I'm not surprised by that. As down as they've been, you've had TCU enter the league who stinks for the most part. Um yeah, I'm not that surprised. So the worst year they ever had was, uh, what was it, 2015, I think, when they went 3-15. and 15. Uh, Oklahoma State went, no, it wasn't 15. When was it? 14? I don't know. 16? The last. What was the last Travis Ford year? Help me out here. I don't know. 2016, 2015-16, <laughs> they went 3-15 and 15 in the Big 12, which is what they're on pace to do right now. And TCU went 2-16 and 16 that year. <laughs> so they didn't finish last that year. And uh, they're essentially going to play West Virginia for to see who uh, finishes last this weekend. Both teams are 3-13. and 13. Nobody else is even within striking distance of last. Um, so, yeah, that's – you know, it sounds dumb, but that's kind of a 
that's kind of a big deal. You don't want to finish last. And, you know, Carson, here's the deal. Like, if you finish ninth, that's better than you were picked to finish. <laughs> that's like, true. I know that's not good, but it's also, you know, you're, you're, I guess you could say you're exceeding expectations. Now, it's the second year in a row that they've been picked to finish last. So that's not a trend that you want to, you know, be a part of. But I don't know. It's a, it's a minor victory, I guess. Yeah, you don't want to finish last. And there was a chance we could have Bedlam in the 8-9 matchup, but Oklahoma's now ahead of TCU for the seventh spot. So that would have been fun. Uh, I guess there's still a chance that could happen. I, can, I don't remember who OU plays last. But but no, I mean, it's been a bad year, but uh, I think Mike Boynton's shown that he can coach and, and get him ready to play. Yeah. So we'll see what these new recruits can do next year. What's your one interesting thing? My one interesting thing, this is perhaps one of the craziest, most inexplicable stats I've ever come across since I've been following sports. Is that enough hyperbole for you? Uh, Oklahoma State hasn't won a tournament game since 2009. They've been really inept as a program since Eddie Sutton retired. Yet, they have the best record against Kansas in the Big 12 during their 14-year reign over the Big 12 Conference. They've beaten Kansas eight times since 2009. That's, that's so better, That's better, better than anybody else. That's so weird. Bill Self has lost to Sean Sutton in Stillwater. He's lost to Travis Ford and Lawrence and in Stillwater. <laughs> he lost to Brad Underwood. Did he lose to Brad Underwood? I can't uh, remember. I think so. I think he lost to Brad Underwood. I mean, he, he loves helping out his alma mater and as bad as OSU has been, it's amazing to me that they are the best team against Kansas. <laughs> That's inexplicable to me. I don't yeah. know how it's happened. The only explanation I have is that Bill Self, like, Bill Self doesn't like to see OSU lose. It really is crazy. And you know, I, I, maybe it's a case of just Kansas not getting up. I mean, these are not big games necessarily. I guess the Marcus smart years were, but I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, that's that's a good point because it feels like most of Kansas's losses in the Big Twelve. Remember, they lost on the road at TCU three or four years ago when TCU was like <laughs> that one of the, the worst programs in the country. That might have been the two and sixteen year. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, and they, Kansas lost to them, so that, it's a good point. When you're far and away the the favorite, sometimes you fall asleep against the lower level teams, but. The fact remains, OSU's been the best against Kansas and over their their title reign, which defies logic because OSU's been so down as a program. Yeah. Uh, hold on, I'm pulling up that TCU season. Their wins in the Big Twelve were uh, Oklahoma State. <laughs> oh, gosh. And exactly. Texas. When they had Marcus Smart, they beat Texas by one. So yeah. that that wasn't the KU year. Uh, okay. I think that, oh, I have one other stat for you. You ready for it? Yep. So I did a post on this and it got some uh, spirited feedback is what we'll call it. And uh, I went to, so I went to pro football reference, which is a really good statistics website. I use all the, uh, like the college basketball reference, college football reference, pro football reference, NBA reference. There's actually an article about them in the New York Times recently, how they, they got like a billion pages across all their sites last year, which is insane. Anyway. Uh, I went to Pro Football Reference and pulled which schools have the most active players uh, in the NFL currently because I was doing some research for, like, uh, Justice Hill at the Combine and stuff like that. Can you guess where Oklahoma State is on that list? 
Oh, probably right around where their recruiting ranking is. I'd say in the 40s, 44. They're 48th, which Mm. is a good guess by you, but it's also quite a bit higher than what their average recruiting ranking has been over the last decade or so. Their average recruiting ranking has actually been in the in the kind of the mid to low 30s, like 35, 34, 33 around there. And uh, so they I don't know. It's kind of weird. And then somebody pointed out that, like, it's not including all of the current guys in the NFL that are on rosters. And there's some there's some weirdness in there because. You know, what do you do with guys like, uh, I don't know, who's somebody that got cut last year but then got picked up maybe. There, there, there's a lot of, like, free agent guys who they bounce around a lot and you don't always know where they are. But the point of me pulling this list was that everybody on the list is like that. Like, Alabama, I'm sure, has dozens of guys that are bouncing around and aren't all included. So so I think for a reference point, it's – it's actually pretty valid that Oklahoma state's 48th um, in, in terms of NFL guys. Does that, does that surprise you that they're that low? It, honestly, it surprises me. They're that high. I mean, I just try and name active Oklahoma state players right now. It doesn't seem like it'd be a long list. Yeah. How many are there? Uh, according to that list, there was six, there's 16. Okay. Yeah. No, but, to me that sounds about right, but that's, Still, I think 16 is more than I would have guessed. Yeah. They're tied with teams like TCU. Uh, Baylor, I think, had 16. Illinois had, like, 17. I mean, it's not it's not a, it's not a great uh, – it's not great company, honestly. Can I guess the top five? Yeah, let me, let me pull it up real quick. Um, hold on. I mean, you, you know who number one is. Well, it's got to be Alabama. They've had most. They've had like they have like forty first round picks. Over yeah, the last. So Al- Alabama is number one with fifty four. Ohio State. Ohio State is number four with fifty. Florida. Florida's number three with fifty two. Florida State. Florida State is number six with forty six. Oh, um, USC. USC is number seven with forty four. Ah, oh, so close. Um, Georgia. Uh, Georgia's number ten with thirty-six. You're going the wrong way. Dang. Uh, who am I for? Clemson. Uh, Clemson's number eleven with thirty-six. Okay, I give up. Who am I missing? LSU's number two with fifty-three. LSU. How did I forget LSU? And my SEC team. Miami is number five with forty-eight. Ah, uh, the U. Kind of, kind of surprised me a little bit. OU's number sixteen with thirty-three guys. Texas is 18 with 32 guys. A&M's got 30. They're 20th. And then Oklahoma State is tied with Baylor, Maryland, TCU, and SMU. Hmm. Ooh, SMU. That's not good. No. They've got one more than Texas Tech. But they're behind Cincinnati, behind Oregon State, behind Central Florida, behind Boston College, Illinois, Rutgers. I mean, it's, it's not great. It's not a, not a great look. Here's the thing that's, and this is kind of what I wrote the post about. It's almost like Gundy is good at bringing in not great players and then not making them better, but getting a ton out of them when they're in Stillwater. I wouldn't go that far. That seems a little hot takey to me. Why? How is that hot takey? How are they not getting better? Well, they don't produce NFL guys. Because they don't recruit NFL guys. 
So I think they improve once they get to Stillwater. I don't think that's the problem. I just don't think they're necessarily recruiting NFL caliber players. Yeah, I, I guess, yeah, that's fair. But that's that's changing, though. I mean, you had Washington and Rudolph. You're going to have Justice Hill and a guy we haven't mentioned yet, Jordan Brailford, who ran a really good 40 times. So I think it's it's improving. I think Tywin Wallace will play in the NFL. There's been a sl- you know, I don't think I think they're in a respectable position. I don't think it's egregious, but I also don't think it's different than. Well, I don't think it's egregious considering where they are in recruiting. I mean, you just listed like think about the type of guys LSU recruits versus yeah. Oklahoma State. Yeah, I mean it's that's a different world. Those I top just, ten teams recruit just a different caliber of athlete, so of course they're going to be having more NFL players. I just don't think you should be in a position where. I don't know. Pick a team. Pitt is 20 spots better than you. Well, they're in Pennsylvania, a football-rich state. And I think it's also, Kyle, this is a Big 12 issue, too. The Big 12 is not having a ton of guys drafted every year. So Oklahoma State's a part of that. And the Big 12, for whatever reason, just hasn't produced the NFL-quality talent that a league like the Big 10 or SEC is. That's just, that's just the way it is. I don't know if it's a style of football thing or what, but that's just, that's just the facts. Yeah. No, that's fair. Um, good points by you. Uh, what else we got going on this week? I'm locked in on the golf. Um, <laughs> I, I appreciated the shout out on your breakdown for the, uh, for the last tournament, the Honda classic. I'll be grinding <laughs> on my, my one and done team. Uh, Michael Thompson was on the leaderboard. I was feeling pretty good. Yeah, he was. I don't know if that, I don't even know if this made the podcast last time. This might've been an off air discussion, but I was giving Kyle one and done picks for, for the listeners, and uh, he, he referenced one of them on his, his article for CBS, which I appreciated. I did. I did. Are you going to pick Victor Hovland this week? <laughs> no. I, I think I'll uh, lay off the amateur. <laughs> um, I'm not picking Gary Woodland. He let me down. Made the cut on the number, though. Back-to-back birdies to make the cut. That was impressive for me. That is. That's nice. I okay. that. Uh, big week. Ton of baseball. Ton of basketball. Ton of wrestling. Uh, We'll have a ton of coverage on pistolsfireandblog.com. And Carson, we will talk again soon. Sounds good, Kyle. Okay, see you.